Stories can be written. They can be spoken. They can be watched. But we never think about the stories that we can play, right? Video games open up whole new worlds for us. And each world has its own story to tell. Out of the million stories out there, I've found a few that I think deserve your attention. So hi, welcome to my gaming library. I'm Pranav, local video games enjoyer, unpaid intern, and novice podcaster. This podcast is where you will hear me talking about the games I personally love, and my experience with them that I'd like to share with you. And in this episode, I want to talk about a game that really makes you feel like a detective. And the name of that game is The Return of the Obradin. If you're anything like me, you probably get attached to fictional characters very easily. You and I may put ourselves in their world and imagine meeting them. We may try to think of how we'd befriend them, how we'd walk alongside them, how they would enrich our lives. Sometimes, these fictional characters will be closer to us than any person in real life ever could be. Sometimes, these fictional characters die. Detectives in fiction are a unique breed of characters, though. They're eccentric, asocial, almost sociopathic in their behavior. Yet they're also the most reliable people in any story, able to walk into a crime scene and only leave until they found the evidence that leads directly to the culprit. Even if they have to wade through piles of bodies and gore, they do their job coldly, effortlessly, ruthlessly. It's no wonder they're often mythologized to be paragons of rationality. We live in a society that considers logic and reason to be some of the greatest virtues a person can have. Emotionality is often seen as a weakness, a flaw of character. To be emotional is to give way to the irrational. It's why detective characters are so beloved. It's why we love to read books, watch movies, or play video games with detective stories. I think we all, deep down, wish we were as rational and efficient as they are. I think that's why I love The Return of the Obradin. But first, some context. The Obradin is a ship that went missing in 1803 and was found along the shores of Falmouth, England, four years later. Its crew of 51 sailors and 9 passengers are either dead or missing. We play as a chief insurance inspector whose main job is to figure out the fates of all the crew members. We are, however, not alone in this task. Accompanying us is the boatman who ferries us to the Oberdin. He doesn't make many comments and remains content waiting down below in his tiny dinghy. There is also a suitcase that is provided to us by an anonymous figure who claims that its contents will assist us in figuring out the fate of the Obradin. It contains a half-blank journal and a pocket watch with the symbol of a skull. The words Memento Mortem are engraved into the watch, Latin for 
remember death. The ship, the sea, the sky, they are all devoid of color. You roam the deck that is shaded like a black and white movie. Eventually, you come across a rotting corpse in front of the captain's quarters. Flies buzz around the bleached bones. There are no clothes, badges, or any sort of identification that could help you figure out who this person was. The journal you found in the suitcase contains some pictures of the crew and a list of names and ranks, but nothing that could help you figure out who this dead man was. But then you remember. You have that pocket watch. You pull it out, hold it in your hand for a couple seconds as you stare at the corpse, then flick it open and watch as the world turns to black. You hear an argument, Captain! yelling, Open the door! aggressive knocking, then finally a bang. The captain is in front of you, flintlock pistol in hand, a trail of gunpowder flowing through your chest. You're unharmed. You turn around and see a man shot in the chest, an expression of shock and pain covering his face. Red mist spreads from his back. There is, however, no motion. Time has paused. Eventually, the world fades to black again, and the journal is placed in front of you. Two questions are posed. Who is this? And how did they die? To say that the game had hooked me would be a great understatement. I became obsessed. Each death and memory brought about more questions than answers, like why was there a mutiny? What kind of affliction affected the crew? What kind of cargo were they carrying? And why were there sea monsters chasing after them? So, from one death to the other, from one memory to the other, I ran around the ship. I journaled all I saw, all that I could infer. I saw men get stabbed, shot, speared, torn apart, burnt, drowned and eaten. Most of them died screaming. The lucky ones either perished in their sleep or died so quickly that there was no time for them to even react. But I was too curious to care about any of that. I had a job to do. So I tried to determine their ranks by the uniform. I tried to determine their serial number through the bunks in which they slept. I tried determining their origin by the accent in which they screamed. I tried determining their faces from the viscera they left behind. See, in The Return of the Obra Din, rarely is information given to you for free. Figuring out the cause of death is easy, as each death plays out in front of you. Figuring out the identity, now that's the tricky part. But I did it. It took time and attention, a lot of attention. But I'd done it. I'd managed to figure out the identities and fates of practically all the people who were aboard the Obradin. I'd figured out the cargo they were carrying, the enemies they had made, the internal conflict that took place on the ship. I'd figured out almost everything. 
the boatman was calling my name. A storm was brewing. We had to sail back. But I still felt like there was more to do. I... I wanted more. More fates, more memories, more answers. More than anything, I wanted a satisfying conclusion. But the game had other plans. An insurance assessment report was slapped in my face. The people, the names, the debts that I had spent hours analyzing were reduced to fines and wages to their families. Nothing more, nothing less. The cargo? Forgotten. The monsters? Ignored. The work was done. The last page required my signature. We're playing as the chief inspector for insurance and claims after all, so... I signed it. There was nothing more for me to do. There was nothing more I could do. Kafka-esque. It's a term that was created to define anything that felt reminiscent of the works of Franz Kafka. But who was Franz Kafka, and what was his work like? Born in 1883 in Prague, Franz Kafka spent most of his free time writing. It was his way of dealing with daily stressors and anxieties in his life. He never shared his work during his lifetime, though, believing it to be not good enough. After his death in 1915, he had instructed in his will that all his writing be burned. But one of his friends ignored his wishes and published his writings. Kafka died believing he wasn't a good writer, but now lives on as one of the greatest and most influential writers of the modern era. Kafka was, coincidentally, also an insurance inspector for most of his life. He was often exposed to unnecessarily complicated and tedious bureaucratic processes that were part of his job. It's what inspired a lot of his writing. One of the most common themes Kafka writes about is how the absurd and the mundane coincide in our daily lives. For example, in his most famous work, The Metamorphosis, the protagonist wakes up one day to find out that he has been turned into a bug. A rational reaction to the situation would be to freak out, scream, shout, ask for help. But our protagonist is a bit more concerned with the fact that he's going to be late for work. It's, a, it's an absurd situation, with an even more absurd reaction. But whenever I read the story, I think to myself that, yeah, sometimes an absurd reaction is the only appropriate reaction. Sometimes it's the only way one can make sense of life. We're often surrounded by death. It is an assured fact of our life that we will all die one day. Those around us, strangers, friends, family, are also destined to meet the same fate. Many of them do so before us. And yet, we move on. We spend some time grieving, then continue on with our lives. We start worrying about the small things again, like 
like how our breakfast tasted this morning or whether we did our hair right. We do this not because we're cold or rational or ruthless or efficient like detectives. We we do this because we're absurd creatures living in a Kafkaesque world. There's not much more we can do. The return of the Obradin helps me acknowledge this absurdity. And when the small things in my life become a little too worrisome, I remember that perhaps one day I will also become nothing more than a few numbers on an insurance assessment report. And as absurd as it sounds, I find that it helps me appreciate things in my life a lot more. If you want to engage with the Kafkaesque world of the return of the Oprah Din, the game is on Windows, Mac, PlayStation, Xbox, and the Nintendo Switch. It's for 880 rupees on Steam without a sale. It'll make your head hurt sometimes, but trust me, it'll keep you hooked until the end and even for days after. Anyway, that's all for now. Thank you.